This is the Off Duty On Duty Podcast, episode number 33. I'm your host, Brian Eastridge. Welcome to the podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com podcast network. You loyal listeners know we take topics relevant to today's gunners. We tackle them from the perspective of everyday concealed carriers and the perspective of on-duty law enforcement officers to give you both angles of discussion. Today, I'm going to be joined by Spencer Keepers. Spencer Keepers, the master and high priest of appendix carry. We're going to talk about his recent uh, deep dive into the dot. But first, I'm going to talk some sponsors. All right, today, our sponsor is CCW Safe, the best legal service membership for concealed carriers and law enforcement officers, the most comprehensive coverage by the most experienced team. Enter code OFFDUTY10 for 10% off of your membership at checkout. The link that I was putting up on some of the other uh, podcasts was, for some reason, it wasn't working. So if you just go to their normal website, I'll put the link in the description Type in Off-Duty 10 when you select your product for a promotion code, and you'll get 10% off your membership. Do that. Do it today. Check out ccwsafe.com. And as always, edcbeltcompany.com, the manufacturer of the foundation concealed carry belt, the most comfortable functional concealed carry belt in the industry. And uh, I happen to know those people, and they're pretty good. Uh, got Maybe got a little special something-something coming at you for the Guardian Conference, which, by the way, link in the show notes. Before I forget, podcast.concealedcarry.com has a weekly podcast giveaway link in the show notes. If you'll get on that, sign up. Last week's winner, Ken Schmeckel, won a DVD, 10 Things You Probably Didn't Know About Self-Defense Law. Lots of good stuff. You got to sign up every week. I would encourage you to do so. Just go into the show notes and click. It'll be there. Now, let's bring in our guest, Spencer Keepers. Welcome back, Spencer, the master and high priest of all things Appendix Carry. How are you? Good to be back, Brian. Hey, man. It's been too long, and our schedules have been a bit... Uh, we haven't been able to connect. And you recently right. caused the uh, the Worldwide Legion of the DASA Posse, uh, as they hashtag on Facebook or whatever, uh, it's some great pain by seeing you with a plastic gun with a dot mounted on top. So, uh, right. Let's talk about I saw, that. I saw that. All righty. <laughs> so why a dot? Well, <clears throat> kind of very interesting, you know, at, at 52 now, a month and a half ago, I could still see my front sight fairly well. Uh, went through this last, uh, hip replacement surgery and, uh, you know, didn't really do a whole lot of dry work or anything like that. You know, the uh, first week and a half or two after that. Uh, but then, you know, started to get out, started walking a little bit, you know, around the park and all that. I guess the, I guess the first week, the second week I kind of did. All right. So anyhow, um, you know, I got to noticing when I was doing a little bit of dry work there, uh, I couldn't hardly see my front sight. And I thought, well, you know you know, it'll come back, you know, body's been through quite a bit of trauma, you know, hip replacements, a big, big surgery, you know, the weeks kind of scrolled on by and nothing really happened. In fact, maybe it got just a little bit worse. And I got, uh, you know, especially in dim light or something like that, uh, went up to Wilshire to shoot and, uh, man, it was just like looking at ghosts, uh, trying to look, you know, for that bright ball, orange front sight that I use on my Berettas. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was like, you know what, this, this is not good. I really can't with good assurance, see my sights well enough that I can guarantee you a hit, um, and a little local place that I hang out church, if you want to call it that, um, I had a active threat that kind of popped. One of the guys showed up just blitzed out of his mind smoking marijuana in the meeting and oh, wow. uh, you know of course you know that didn't go over well luckily i wasn't at this particular one uh, he got in a fight with one of the guys that was there and ended up at one of the other members house just shortly after that 
uh, called him, telling him he was going to shoot him. Guy looked outside, and sure enough, the dude was sitting out there in his car. He called the cops. Cops show up, uh, felon with a gun, strung out. Cops took him away, but apparently, from what I have been told, he's out uh, and have made some active threats uh, against you know the place, right, and the the people that show up there. So. You know, my concern for that is, you know, everybody up there knows, you know, you know, if you follow me on Facebook, you know, I'm a gun guy. Right. Right. And uh, so, you know, everybody's looking at me like, you know, hey, do you know what this guy looks like? Are you going to be here? How much can you be here? You know, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know what? This is a really bad time because especially if I can't see them good. Right. I mean. Like I can see them and I get shooting, you know, with kind of a ghosted sight picture, you know, where kind of everything's blurry. Yeah. Uh, but when they really ghost out on you, uh, that's not a feeling that I find very comfortable, especially with my, you know, my background, my vision has always been like 2013 or better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my whole life, I've, I've just had exceptional vision. So for me not to be able to see that, you know, bothers me. And then, you know, you put the, you know, the actual potential of a dude saying, you know, I'm going to come up there and shoot the place up or burn it down or something like that. And, and him already kind of proven that, you know, he has some intent there. Yeah. Right. He's got some intent and he's crazy. Right. Uh, I was like, okay, I need a dot gun like now. And the fastest way I could get into a dot was a Glock 17 Gen 5. I texted uh, my good friend, Scott Jalewski. I took his red dot class here. Oh, I guess it's been a year and a half or so ago. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, really enjoyed it, liked it, uh, you know. But at that point in time, bro, I could see my front sight just as bright and clear as, you know, as ever. And I was like, you know, hey, the dot's cool, but I just don't need one, right? So, you probably listened to the episode I did with Robbie Latham about, oh, it's probably three or four months ago, maybe, maybe less. And we had that discussion and his take on it was if you don't really see a need for it, it's not soundly necessary. I mean, right. and he talked about the same thing. He's like, you know, when I was younger, I had this Eagle vision and around that same time, he said, I've had two and three vision shifts in a year that that seriously impacted my ability to see sights and he said so that's when i really started down the slide mounted red dot because that guy's i mean let's face it the dude was shooting in the 90s with a dot you know a frame mounted dot on a gun so it wasn't a foreign concept but when we talked about it he was like you know if you don't need it then there's no need to go in the rabbit hole unless you just want to, because you know, America and you can do what you want. But his take, his take on it was a lot of people that he was seeing that go into that were compounding problems with, they wouldn't know whether they needed it or not because they hadn't reached a skill level to where it made any difference at all. And he said, you know, the difference between most of your really high proficiency shooters and your entry level shooters is they will recognize I've got to do something to maintain this performance level. And it's not something at the gun, meaning, you know, trigger grip, all that it's, I literally can't see what's going on. So think how much shooting is vision driven, right? I mean, it is so, so vision driven, right? Yeah. You know, and that was the dilemma that I was in until just like, you know, with I'm five and a half weeks out from that hip replacement surgery. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and maybe my vision will come back, you know, because sometimes, you know, your body goes through a lot of trauma and it, it you know, it prioritizes what it needs to do. Mm-hmm. And my vision isn't its priority right now. You know, it's like, hey, dude, you can, you know, I can see my phone and stuff like that most of the time times I can't, I've got to wear, you know, readers for that sometimes, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, sometimes I have to wear readers for a book and other times I don't. And yes, I'm going to go see an ophthalmologist and get this all checked out. Right. Um, Cause you know, I don't, uh, I've already had, 
my wife and some other people that care about me, you know, look at me and going, well, you're just, you're just trying to fix the, the uh, problem. You're not, you know, you're not looking at the bigger picture here. And so I'm going to go get this checked out and, you know, make sure, but, but in the meantime, I still can't see my front sight. So I needed to <laughs> fix that. And I, ha- I had, you know, I had one, a desire for myself because I want to, if I'm going to carry a gun, I want to know for a fact that I can use it exceedingly well. And, you know, we kind of had that threat pop up that, you know, it's still active actually. So it's potential that's there. Right. And it's more potential than not. Right. Right. So it's, it's, you know, it's the difference between going someplace that you normally go and not knowing that and going someplace that you normally go and knowing that. Right. And and I would assume probably that this group is taking some additional precautions. I would hope, you know, maybe move the location or something. Not Uh, whatsoever. Oh, well, that would, I I would be hard pressed to want to go, uh, go do that. If I knew that that threat was outstanding, uh, it, you know, life is about risk mitigation, but you talked about having uh, hip surgery, you know, in December of 19, I had my sinuses like roto rooted, right? And, right. and I kept getting these chronic sinus infections and it, it was really, God, it, it was horrible. They finally, they scoped them. And immediately after the surgery for like a week, I had blurry vision and I thought, Oh, here comes the dot. I'm going to have to just, I'm going to have to bite down, bear down and just run with it. About two weeks after that, when my vision kind of leveled out, my vision improved like substantially in that focal plane of where sights are. And the only thing I can think is, you know, having chronic inflammation just under your eyes, it was start, it was detracting from that. And it was really interesting to go, Oh, I, cause I did the same thing. I went to, uh, you know, Wilshire to shoot and, their their booths if you're not standing just in the right place the lighting in there isn't on your sights so so they're kind of out there in the dark when you're standing right up there on the bench i I learned that in a class one time i was was like oh man i can't see my sights and i took like a half step back and i was like oh there they are so from there i was like oh i can see my sights even in this you know i wouldn't call it low light but kind of uh not the optimum lighting circumstance there and it was way more clear. And I talked to my eye doctor and the guy that did my sinus surgery and they were like, yeah, all that chronic inflammation over the years was starting to affect your vision. I completely believe in what you're saying. And especially when the body's been through a major, a major surgery, like a hip replacement, you know, it may come back. It may not. And being 52, you know, the, the, the probability of it not coming back the way it was is probably higher than, than it coming back better. Correct. Correct. But what has been, and the next thing I was going to ask you, we know, I know because you and I have shot together for years, you understand all your cold performance levels and training and how to develop training programs for certain tasks. How big, how big of a leap was it to go from iron sights to a dot? So, um, you know, fortunately I had, I had trained with Scott, so I had a little bit of knowledge, you know, about the dot. Right. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, of course I'm, I'm going to a gun that has uh, a much different grip feature and grip angle. Um, in all honesty, it wasn't that big of a deal. I spent, mm-hmm. you know, literally I spent. 15, 20 minutes dry firing, maybe not even that long. Uh, and you know, the dot was right there where I wanted it. Um, and I continue to do that. Um, there's, I, I'm still struggling just a little bit on picking the dot up, uh, strong hand and weak hand only, Mm -hmm. um, right. Uh, like if I have a break and I point the gun up there, I have to fish for the dot just a little bit. Uh, and then once I find it, I can repeat it, you know, after that on demand for, you know, I'll do that for a couple of minutes, uh, and then take a break. And then, you know, when I come back to that, there's still that little bit of fishing, but as far as drawing the gun from the holster with two hands, 
Uh, I'm finding the dot exactly where I want it to be 95 plus percent of the time. One of the things I talk to, you know, newer shooters about that are kind of in the gear rabbit hole that we all go through Uh is the dot thing tends to compound that to some degree. If you don't have a base of understanding that I would call not maybe advanced, but intermediate like but if you start with the dot and that's all you ever know that learning curve kind of goes away and you learn to shoot the specifics of a dot so i've i've trained people now on both sides and right the people that i see that are you know they they bought their first or their second gun and they're they're starting to get active in training if they swap to a dot while they're still in that you know, don't really quite understand what grip is or how to do it repeatedly and efficiently. They don't really understand how to draw from concealment. It tends to be a compounding problem. Whereas if you get that guy that shot irons and gone through that learning curve, it doesn't seem to be as big a jump, but the flip side being you get somebody that their first gun out of the box had a dot on it. It takes them, they learn that they learn all those learning curves with the dot and it doesn't, you know, switch into iron sights. Then I I would say is probably easier to go from a dot to irons than the other way around. Uh, I would agree. And, you know, a lot of the guys that I've I've talked to over the years that have been running dots, you know, have some of them have gone back to irons, uh, you know, if, if, not permanently, at least for a little while, because they're running the dot because you know, it was cool. You know, they're not necessarily running the dot because they had to. Right. Um, and every one of them in that scenario has said that it has made their iron sight shooting much better, their draw stroke for their irons much better, because you have to be much more precise on a draw stroke with a dot than you do a draw stroke with irons because you can track the irons easier than you can track the dot during the draw stroke. Yeah. And, and during recoil, if you fudge a grip or, or you get a, you get a bad purchase on the gun coming out of the holster, you're pretty well aware of where that front sight is throughout the presentation process. Whereas right. The dot, you, you know, if you come out a little muzzle high, a little muzzle low, left, right of center, something doesn't go right. You're not aware of where that dot is in space until right about the final piece of the presentation when you drop it in from 12 o'clock or bring it up from six. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's all stuff that we as shooters all contend with. And my side of it, you know, I look at the concealed carry or what I would call my off duty world. And then I look at it through the, the cop lens and the cop lens part of me. I look at it like this. Most state certified training bodies. They don't teach the foundational principles of how to run a semi-auto handgun to a degree that lends itself to train with a dot. Does that make sense? Like they're still kind of in that, well, we transitioned from revolvers to autos, but we're still kind of buying a lot of this revolver centric stuff. And so we get by with an auto, uh, we get by with a semi-auto and a lot of my buddy, Daryl, your, you and I's buddy, Daryl Balky calls it. Sometimes we end up training to the no cop left behind standard and that does not lend well to a dot. Unless an agency goes, we not only have to adapt to this piece of equipment, but we've got to bring the whole training program up to where that, that now becomes an integral piece. And so, so speaking of that, yeah. Um, so, and to, to touch on the, you know, the, uh, the, uh, size and the, uh, the gnashing of teeth from the DASA posse group, um, (laughs) That was completely uh, tongue in cheek, by the way. Yes, I know, I know, uh, but it was funny, right? So, um, <laughs> a local, a local friend of ours. I uh, won't, um, uh, you know, won't 
uh, because I don't have permission, so I won't, you know, name him or anything like that. But he is, he is a fabulous trainer, incredibly well versed. Uh, you know, hand to hand dude, gun dude. Uh, you know, he just a fucking stud. Um, <clears throat> so he has a Beretta with a dot on it. And, uh, you know, when all this started, I was like, Hey bro, it's a big ass, but I really need to shoot that gun. And uh, he was like, Hey man, this, this, he's like, I'm just like completely slammed. You know, the soonest I can get to you and we can go to the range together is this day. And that was like, you know, at this point in time, it's like four weeks out. Right. And, uh, so now it's, it's, you know, it's a couple of, three weeks out or whatever. So, and I'm, I'm still looking forward to that because again, I ended up with a Glock with the dot on it because that was the fastest way I could get into a dot. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, M, you know, gen five, 17 MOS bought a CH CNH plate, uh, at, you know, Wilshire gun, uh, check those guys out if you're ever in Oklahoma city and, uh, um, I uh, texted my buddy, Scott Zelensky, and I'm like, Hey, give me some dot options, you know? And so he shot me some dot options, hollow sun 509 T. Uh, I looked, kind of looked at it and I'm like, okay, that's the first dot he recommended. That's the dot I'm going to go with. And they had one. So, you know, that's what I ended up with. Having said all that, while I was talking to my buddy, who's a, you know, training sergeant for a pretty big PD here locally, mm-hmm. um, he was like, Cause I asked him, I was like, so is your Beretta with a dot better? Or would you just, you know, say, you know, do your due diligence and practice with a Glock with a dot and you're going to be 99 to hundred percent of the Beretta. And he was like, uh, well, actually our entire department is going to gen five seventeens with the dot in about two to four weeks. I'll let you know. So I was kind of shocked at that. So here we've got this, you know, fairly uh, one of the bigger PDs in the in the Metroplex mm-hmm. um, going to a Glock with a dot on it for all their officers. Yeah. Uh, and in our little, uh, you know, and I thought that was, you know, I, I, I was actually caught off guard by that. Really, I was. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of PDs now that are that are doing that. And I think part of that is the fact that I know with I know with you guys, I know with several other big agencies of guys that I've been in schools with or that have come through my classes. I'm so honored to have those guys in my class. You know, um, I've talked to a lot of those guys and they're like, you know, I'd be like, you know, man, I'm just shocked. You know, this this agency says that half of their officers could retire today. And they're like, half, you know, our agency is like 75%, you know, and the other guys, oh, is that all? Or our agency is like 82%, you know. Right. So if you look across that, there's so many officers out there that are getting up in the years they they can retire, but they don't want to retire because, you know, taxes. Um, <clears throat> and so now they're like saying the same thing I'm saying. Hey, I can't see my front sight with good authority. What am I going to do? Yeah. And now we have now we really have the technology to try and fix that. You know, let's let's put a dot on that. And, uh, um, you know, in the in the short uh, texting that, that we did, you know, uh, before we, we, uh, started the, the uh, podcast here today, um, you had said something to me, you know, and I was like, Oh, I've got to go check that out. Cause this, this 509 has a auto, uh, brightness feature on uh-huh. it. Uh, and I really didn't actually know it had that until I got up there and was perching it. And, uh, you know, our, our mutual friend Parker was like, Hey, do you know about this? You know? And I'm like, you know, dude, actually I'm just strictly going off, uh, you know, the recommendation that was made to me and, uh, you know, you know, the dudes, the, the Jedi master red dots, I'm not going to second guessing. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I got to, 
I've been playing around with this auto feature and you can lock it out and manually adjust it. So for mm-hmm. the people that want to know that you can, but dude, it works and it works really well. So uh, I went out into the garage, turned the lights off through a uh, surefire uh, 300 on it and yeah. boom, hit the light and the dot auto adjusted a little bit, but it was good enough that I could see it. Uh, I have, um, insulation on my garage door that's white yeah with a plastic coating on it you know you've seen that and so yeah. it's kind of it's kind of shiny and it reflects light really well um i could still see the dot with that light on that's excellent aiming aiming into the center of the splash see that uh that was probably my biggest hiccup with when i tried them a couple of years ago and I tried several different setups because some of them had auto brightness, some of them didn't. And that was one of my major concerns with putting a dot on a duty gun, especially when I know, like, if I work night shift, I'm going to be searching buildings and I'm going to have a pistol with a light on it. Um, right. You know, and right. we can talk search technique or whatever. I mean, th- yeah, we, that's, we, that's a separate subject. It's for, a separate. Yeah. We, we can talk about, that stuff ad nauseum, but that related a little bit. Yeah. But that, when I saw that, because I, I tested it and I put some pictures up and I went rut row, this is not good because this diopter right. technology is not where it needs to be for me to go. Hey, I can go in there and comfortably make a shot with a gun light on and I had it explained a couple different ways by different people that, that are much more versed in dots than I am. And it was like, well, they're working on it, which seems to be a very, that, that's like the, uh, that's like the industry's mating call or something. Well, they're working on it. And, yeah. and the other thing I had was that diopter based on where it was placed was, uh, you know, everybody's big on this loaded chamber indicator thing now, right? I, I just, I've always been a believer. I like that. I don't either. I'm like, it, press check your gun or know the status of it. Whatever. Like yeah. I press check my gun every day before I go to work. If I haven't had it out of the holster, it comes out safe direction, press check, move on with life. Um, that <laughs> loaded chamber indicator would blow primer debris up into that diopter. And at a certain point it would just quit. And I was like, oh boy, um, that's bad. Yeah. That's, that's not a good thing. Right. Um, especially if like, if you're me and you go out and you shoot your gun at a qualification and then you reload it because after 50 rounds, I'm not going to disassemble my fully functioning gun and then put it back together and go do real business work with it. I just certified the gun works. Why would I peel it all apart? And and clean it all out for 50 rounds. And then the only time I clean it is if I know I'm going to the range before I go back to work and I get to clean it up, practice a little bit, maybe clean it again, and then certify it with five or 10 rounds, you know, or a magazine or something. Um, I think people go way too far into the rabbit hole of my gun needs to pass a white glove inspection all the time. But but I don't peel a gun apart after if I'm going to do work with it, I don't peel it apart and then load it. I peel it apart, clean it, shoot it, and then load it. Makes sense. Like load it with business ammo. Right. 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 Um, so that, that kind of came up, but yeah, I I, I'm seeing a lot of agencies embrace the dot and that's awesome because I think that's where we're headed as an industry. I just yes. have also seen the flip side that there are a lot of agencies that are way behind the curve of training people even to shoot autos sufficiently or semi-auto pistols sufficiently that a dot would be beneficial. So it's like, for me, it's like pick the battle. If you're going to transition to a dot, but you don't yet, teach people how to shoot the auto to where when they pick the dot up, it's a matter of making a few uh, learning adjustments, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and unfortunately the, the industry doesn't, we just don't move on from dogma very well at, at, at times I see, you know, I, I just the other day I read a, a report about TACCON 
Um, and, you know, un- unfortunately, I didn't get to go because of my damn hip surgery. But uh, the report kind of mentioned appendix carry. And it was like, you know, the, the writer was just like, I still, I, you know, can't believe that people are doing that. You know, obviously it's dangerous and you shouldn't be doing it. And, you know, we we have proven time and time and time and time again that appendix carry is no more dangerous than the strong side carry. And in a lot of ways, it's safer. Um, but the people won't like they just won't comprehend that. And I think a lot of that is true with the red dot. And in some cases, in some agencies where the dogma is really strong, it's that way with the semi-auto still. Yeah. Oh yeah. Which just blows my mind. So you summed it up for me like five years ago when I said, you know, I, we were standing in the old shop there and I said, man, don't you feel like appendix is, is pretty, pretty dangerous. And you go, bro, carrying a gun is just dangerous. Right. And I was like, Oh, you know, you have a saw because I was trying to play kind of devil's advocate. Like, Hey, you know, I feel okay doing this because I've got a DA gun or, or, you know, or I take the right holstering procedures or whatever. I'm not worried about me. Um, which I know that sounds arrogant, but it's not meant to be. It's just like, I'm not worried about me being safe with the gun. I'm more worried about John Q public. And you're like, bro, carrying a gun is just dangerous. You just got to accept it's a dangerous business. And I'm like, yeah, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. It, <laughs> the, the, the number one way to, to like ensure that you could potentially be shot is to have a gun on your person. Like it, it's, That's correct. you know, if you don't have yeah. a gun, it's not going to happen. So, right. Uh, yep. And then I look at it like knives, you know, well, I'm not going to get cut if I don't carry a knife. The potential's not even there, um, you know, of me cutting myself. So, uh, and I know none of us have ever done that. So, right. No, I've never cut myself with my own knife ever. Not one time, <laughs> not one time yesterday when I was opening a package and went, whoops, oops. Yeah. Um, but it's funny how we look at, we look at simple tools in our daily life, like a knife and we don't equate or mitigate risk with that. And we get pretty reckless, which causes us to get cut. Whereas with a firearm, a safety minded, safety conscious person that is always on their mind. Like, Ooh, Hey, this gun could go off or I could accidentally set it off or, and so we ingrain the four safety rules from like entry level of anything we do training with a gun, but we don't do that with a knife. (laughs) <laughs> you know right so yeah you know i started thinking about that i'm like man we you know we we do that with cars we get in and we put our seatbelt on because we might crash but for some reason it's like well if you carry it over here that's more dangerous than carrying it here well no it's just dangerous in general so yeah like yeah. do like take all the steps and mitigate that and let's let's move on down the road but um and and with the dot thing i think when you talk dogma you know, this, uh, this new appendix carry thing, um, right. Uh, well, you and I both have historical pictures of dude shoving guns in their belt in the 1800s. Right. Um, right. with, yeah. with the dot thing and the, and, the, and the pirates running, you know, five or six, uh, musket well, pistols, you know, in their brace up front. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> Yeah, it's like, uh, not <laughs> like new. We've been doing appendix since there have been handguns. Right. And then, you know, I see a lot of the, the, the younger crowd that goes, you know, this, this new mi- micro red dot on a pistol, this new, 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 new. And I'm like, no, bro, it's not a new concept. It's been around probably longer than some of the people now carrying them have been alive. It yeah. just hasn't come to prominence in the carry world until maybe the last four or five years. Right. So, you know, like I said, in my podcast with DB, all things old are new again. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Any other final thoughts? I was, I'm glad you got to take a little time out today and, uh, you know, run a quick podcast here. Or- so, 
let's let's talk real quick about the uh, like the the benefits of the dot and yes, the please do. Of the dot. Um, I think that'd be you know I, I think we need to cover that right. Um, you know, so the benefits of the dot is uh, accuracy, right? You've got a single aiming point. You don't. You're not lining anything up. So the ability to shoot accurately with it, especially, you know, like 10, 15 yards plus goes up exponentially. Um, uh, every time, every time I have been beat on a, uh, you know, on a uh, shoot off on like the test or the super test, uh, just, just about, um, it's been with somebody with a dot gun. Because it makes those things easier to do than iron sights. You don't, you've only got a single Emmy point. And that's why we put dots on carbines, right? Yeah. Because it was easier to do than iron sights. And, you know, and now we progressed with that, that we're taking dots off the carbines, putting low power variable optics on them, right? Yeah, because that's even you know that gives us even more capability with carby. Um, the, pers- the you know the precision shooting side of that is is much easier with the dot. the The dot, in some aspects, um, is as easy or easier to track during recoil if you have good recoil control. If the dot stays in the glass, it's very easy to track. And this is something that I've noticed. Uh, basically, when I'm shooting like I should be shooting, right, gripping the gun the way I should be doing it, the dot climbs straight up and then drops straight back down. It never leaves the glass. It never leaves the target, right? When I say the glass, it's not leaving the window of the red dot optics. So, okay. Please understand that, right? Fair. Um, The, you know, the other cool thing about that is you can get a real definitive zero on the optic. So you Um, don't have to take a hammer and a punch and slap it in a vice to get it. You know, you can, you can adjust that and boom. Um, uh, Some of the dots, you know, there's a a mutual friend of ours uh, employed uh, uh, in the same place you work that, um, you know, he's a dot guy, uh, and I was texting him, you know, I'm like, you know, hey, man, you know, we need to go to the range because, uh, um, you know, I want to make sure that I'm spooled up 100% on this on this dot thing, you know, and uh, and he's an instructor, mm-hmm. dude, Jedi now. Yeah. And uh, so, <clears throat> you know, and he was like, hey, bro, I'm a little bit busy, and he sends me pictures of his guns and some targets, you know, and uh uh, he's like, you know, I had to put new batteries in them and his dots, you have to take off the gun to access the batteries, put the new batteries in and then put the dots back on the guns and then you have to re-zero them. Uh, the, the cool thing about this this 509T is you don't have to do that. There are battery compartments on the side. Uh, battery just comes in and out. Uh, you can change the battery and it's, you know, it's like a 50,000 hour deal. So, you know, you don't have to change it, but like, you know, once every presidential election or something. So, yeah, and it's uh, a good habit I, to change them yearly. I do that with anything battery. I, 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 I will, I will be changing them once a year, you know, first of the year. Um, and, uh, uh, cause you know, it's, it's just, you can, right. Um, uh, <clears throat> so, you know, that's, that's kind of a plus and minus to the dot. Um, depending on, but brand. you can get that good definitive zero. Okay. Uh, the, you know, the, the downside of the dot <clears throat> is you do need to take care of the glass. Uh, this is one of the things that I've become acutely aware of. Uh, so uh, talking to our buddy, you know, he was like, I have a, you know, out the door procedure where I clean the glass, take a, a you know, one of the micro cloths. Yeah and clean the glass before I leave out the door. Right. And I'm like, man, that's a great idea. You know, same thing now as a press check. We're just, you know, we don't necessarily have to clean our, our, 
our iron sights necessarily, although I have seen guys draw the gun out of a holster and have so much dust and debris on the front sight that you can't see it, right? Yeah. And, uh, especially guys that work construction. Uh, man, we've got some holsters back over the years that you just, I mean, you just look at them and they're all, you know, they're cracked and broke and they've got just like mud caked in the inside and shit that you just wouldn't believe, you know, like, golly. Well, I, I've had that same experience, you know, carrying a keeper's holster off work. I have to be, I won't say super diligent, but, uh, I, I did get a little lackadaisical and went to the range. And this guy I know that has this holster company seems like you would know him. He showed me this trick where you take a air hose and blow the keeper's holster out and you might have showed me that in your garage well i had gotten kind of lazy on that right and i i draw my 365 uh you know i'm just around with some uh some friends and one of them immediately starts laughing and i'm like what and he goes that gun hadn't been out of the holster in a while and i go well yeah i was was drawing with it the other night and he goes look at the dust bunny on the front sight and i mean this like what looked like a dandelion had grown on my first front or on my front sight. And it was during the winter and I had a shirt on that was just shedding lint. So it wasn't like the holster's fault. It just, that's just what happened. And I went, you know, and I, I blew the front sight off and I, I said, well, I could probably still out shoot you with that, but we won't make a deal out of that. So, you know, and it became a big laugh, but, but yeah, you definitely, I think there's probably some, additional steps like you said that i guess you could call that a detriment that you could file file that under uh maybe less or more frequent with a dot than you would iron sights uh, correct 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 yeah and it's just something you get you need to be aware of because you know i was you know been doing some dry work and and uh got where i was you know racking the slide to you know reset it and uh uh found that i was letting my knuckle rub up against the front, uh, uh, you know, the front glass of that dot. Mm -hmm. And, uh, when I came back up, you know, there's a smudge on the glass and, uh, while you can shoot through it, if you just ignore it, uh, it is distracting, right? So Mm -hmm. keeping that glass clean is, is the thing. So Uh, let me ask you this malfunctions. Like say, you know, say the off chance, one of our, our guns with reliable U S manufactured ammo and all that, let's say we get the, you know, entanglement malfunction and, you know, police, police officers typically teach the the power stroke hand over the top. Well, now we've got a big glass object up there. Um, the civilian circles, we, you know, we pretty well teach the slingshot thumb and forefinger or some variation of that unless you're doing an off the holster, off the belt, something like that. Um, has, is that a concern? Is that something? I, I, uh, uh, um, you, I would not worry about that whatsoever. I would use the dot. Um, although, um, I would just try and be careful not to make contact with the Glock, with the Glock, with the glass, uh-huh. um, Instead of using like a knife hand on it, I would probably use a little bit of a cup hand where I was touching the, you know, like the sides uh, of the optic rather than the glass of the optic, if that okay. makes sense, yeah. right? Yeah. So I'm using more of the superstructure of the frame of the optic uh, than I am trying to put pressure on the glass. That's why I would stay away from trying to touch the glass, even inadvertently, you know, um, or I would just get to the more the front of the slide and do that, right? Okay. Um, you know, uh, actually, one of the things I like about the Berettas so much uh, is that you can come underneath the slide and grasp the forward cocking serrations and and rack that slide so easily. Um, you know, I think it's just. I think it's easier and maybe a little bit safer because you're not having to mitigate your hand around the muzzle area, right? Yeah. Because um, a lot of times I see guys when they're doing a power stroke, they'll run that hand in front of the muzzle and then come up on top of the slide, which is bad. 
uh, for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, that wouldn't, that wouldn't worry me at all. If I was a, you know, wounded shooter, one hand drill, you know, uh, we've taught for years about using the rear sight to, you know, rack the slide, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know, well now, well now you've got this great, great big lever up there to use. Yeah. Um, you know, and, uh, um, you know, if I was in that desperate of a situation, I would absolutely use it. Yeah. So, uh, and then, you know, kind of moving on from there, um, you know, the, another detriment of the doc dot, kind of like we talked about, you know, the dot can be kind of hard to find until you get that figured out. Uh, so <clears throat> it's harder to find than irons, you know, especially when you first start, like you mentioned. So that's something to kind of consider. Uh, the other thing is the brightness of the dot. Um, you know, do you have to draw your gun four or five times a day, you know, to look at the dot and figure, do I need to raise the, the brightness or lower the brightness of the dot? And that's uh, one of the reasons that I'm pretty happy with this one so far and all the testing I've done uh, in, you know, well-lit rooms, outside, uh, poor-lit rooms, et cetera, uh, with, you know, uh, flashlights on and off. Uh, the auto feature on this seems to be doing really well for me. Good deal. Um, so, that that's always been one of my hiccups with it. Um, just with the dots in general is the brightness thing. And, right. and, uh, and there is some training learning curve and training considerations, even when using a handheld on a lot of those, because you know, the old, uh, like the, the Harry's position or, uh, the FBI, um, you know, anchoring the gu- anchoring a light to your your chin, and you know, backlighting your sights and all that. Some of the old right. cop one handed, you're searching, uh, and you go to a shoot position, and you drop the light in over your shoulder and under your chin. And I don't remember if that's the Harry's or the FBI. I think that's the FBI technique. Um, the yeah, because I use them all. Yeah, the Harry's I, is back to back, right? Where your palms yes, are back yes. to back. So I, I'm, I'm not a big, uh, how to say, not that I don't know how to use those and don't use those like every single day. I've just never sat down and actually labeled them, you know, but, uh, right. but that, <clears throat> you know, anchoring a light to your face and driving out stronghand, that's a consideration that you have to take in when you're running, especially with these new, like five to 500 to like a thousand lumen lights, um, yes, that can be a bit of a, I, I won't call that. I won't file that under detriment. It's just a consideration you're going to have to make and maybe, uh, train to figure out how to do that without, you know, washing the back of your, your, uh, optic out, you know? So right. things, right. things yeah. to think about. Well, dude, I said we were going to do 30 minutes and we're almost at an hour. So, you know, oh, no, no joke. Yeah. Oh, so I should probably let you roll out. So, uh, anything new on the horizon really quick before we shut her off here? Uh, got some, you know, classes coming up this fall. Uh, unfortunately I've got a, I've got a shoulder surgery that I'm going to have to do. And, uh, uh, that's coming up here pretty quick and, um, kind of anxious to get that done and get rolling again. Um, man, I'm just super anxious to get back out and start teaching this fall. So. Well, cool. And I know we'll be seeing you at the guardian conference in September. So, uh, looking forward to that greatly hoping, uh, hoping you can do a live fire appendix class, but, uh, how it, I guess that's going to depend on the shoulder maybe, or, or, Oh no, I should, I should be good to go by then. Very good. I I tell people I'm like, I'm like, Hey, it, it, even if he's not going to be able to make the range, go to his holster lecture and get you know, mind blown. Like I did the first time I saw it. So that, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to add some stuff to that for this, this coming one. So it should be even better. Excellent. Cause, uh, I, so. I've told people, I'm like, you know, I thought I had a pretty good handle on stuff. And then I went to the holster lecture and I realized, you know, I know a lot about guns, but holsters are not my gen- Like that's not my expertise. And I bet I took as much, as many notes in that holster lecture as I did in the live fire portion. You know what I mean? I was like, Oh wow. Like, right. Uh, now I see why this holster is so great. So anyways, well, and there's, 
there's a lot that people, well, there's just a lot that people don't think about with holsters. And if, you know, if you really look at it, um, the two most important pieces of gear you have is your, is how you mount the holster, AKA the belt, right. Mm -hmm. And happen to know a dude that makes the best appendix belt out there. In my opinion, the best gun belt out there. Um, you know, I'm, kind of know him well, known his family for like 40 years now. Yeah, seems like I've heard uh, of that dude. Right. And, uh, um, and then the holster, because if the holster doesn't do a good job holding the gun, if it's not comfortable, you're not going to wear it. If it doesn't conceal well, you know, you're going to print people are going to see that and understand that you've got a gun, which is bad. Um, and as bad as I hate to say this, cause you know, you and I are both gun guys. Mm -hmm. The gun is the gun is literally the easiest plug in the whole thing because, you know, we can take a student with basically any, service quality i'll say that as a caveat mm -hmm. service quality handgun uh whether it be a striker fired gun single action gun dasa gun da only gun and teach them how to use it well enough to defend themselves yeah right but there's nobody or very few people you know i think i was really kind of one of the first ones that sat down and was like you know, here's all the considerations to look at in a holster and in a carry method. So, yeah, the, uh, like you said, the gun, a lot of people don't understand that, but you know, people were on the face space were, were like, Oh my gosh, you're not shooting a Beretta. And I tell people a lot, I go, look, once you've got the mechanics of how to operate a gun, the gun is just preference. It's what do I prefer? Right. You know, I can shoot a Glock exactly. fine. I can shoot a SIG fine. I can shoot all method of DASA, all that. I operate all those just fine. It's just, what yeah, do I prefer exactly. to carry? So, yeah. Yep. All right, dude. Episode 33 with Spencer Keepers. A reminder, guys, check out today's sponsors, CCW Safe. Off-duty tenant checkout will get you 10% off your membership, EDC Belt Company. Uh, and there's more sponsor links in the show notes. Just trying to, you know, trim down the intro a bit. Look forward to seeing you all at the Guardian Conference in Oklahoma City. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. It's all over the internet. Off-duty, on-duty podcast, right? And check out our website. If you got some feedback on an episode, something you want to hear, drop us a comment. There's a comment section under every podcast we launch. And uh, answered some questions for some guys last week. All right, you guys have a good week. Talk to you next Thursday. The Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.